Hear now these words of scripture from Luke chapter 23, verses 39 to 43. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God? since you are under the same sentence of condemnation. And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly I say to you, today, you will be with me in paradise. I've got a question for you as we think just for a very brief few minutes about these powerful words of Scripture. And here's my question. Do you believe in 11th hour conversions? What do we mean by an 11th hour conversion? An 11th hour conversion is somebody who comes to faith in Christ near the end of their life. And we might be reluctant to believe in an 11th hour conversion. We might say, well, was it, was it sincere? What about a whole life lived in rebellion against God and at the last minute that person can pray a prayer of salvation and have eternal life? Do you believe in an 11th hour conversion, or maybe you struggle with the idea of an instant conversion. We think that there's something more that we need to do. Could a person just pray a prayer of salvation and be assured that God hears their prayer, forgives them, and welcomes them? We have in this passage that we just read from the Gospel of Luke, an example of an 11th hour conversion. And I want to invite you to reflect on this with me. The setting was the place of the skull. The place of the skull was a small mountain. It was a hill on the outskirts of Jerusalem. It was otherwise known as Calvary. You hear people use the word Calvary. It's referring to the place of the skull. Jesus was nailed to the cross nails through his hands, nails through his feet. He was nailed to the cross between two criminals. Now, this was in fulfillment of one of those prophecies centuries before in the Old Testament. All three, the two criminals and Jesus, were dying on the cross. Jesus is being humiliated, as we read in this passage. People are scoffing. Roman soldiers are casting lots for his garments, and the rulers taunted him. Now, when you think you see these two criminals, one on either side of Jesus, in a sense, you can be reminded of the two types of people in the world. There are those who have a hard heart to the truth, a hard heart to Jesus. No matter what we say, they would resist Jesus. And then there's another type of person. It's a person who has a, a soft heart to Jesus. 
You know, butter and clay respond in different ways to the bright, hot sun, don't they? Clay, when it's exposed to heat and when it's exposed to the sun, will dry up and it will harden. But butter is melted. We see in this example, in this story, an example of a hard heart that's like clay. But we see an example of a soft heart that is like butter. Did you notice the words of the criminal with the hard heart? The Bible says that this criminal railed at Jesus. He joined in all of the scoffing of Jesus. He joined in the taunting. He was a person who did not believe in Jesus, who did not see his need for Jesus. But we're gonna take a look at the criminal with the soft heart, and we're gonna notice three things about this story, and as we look at these three, three things, I would like to remind you of one of the most powerful hymns ever written. It was the hymn Amazing Grace, written by John Newton. And I want you to think about John Newton, who himself was involved in the slave trade, who himself had a conversion in his life. And after he discovered grace, he wrote the hymn Amazing Grace. And there's a phrase in that hymn that I'd like for you to think about as we look at this man, this criminal with a soft heart. John Newton wrote, "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. Did you hear that? God's grace, the Holy Spirit by God's grace. Grace means something that God, God favors us with. And God's grace teaches our hearts to fear, and then God's grace also relieves our fears. So I want you to notice, first of all, the first thing about this heart that is softened by grace Notice the words that we read in the passage. It says, but the other, this is the, one, the criminal with a soft heart, rebuked him, rebuked the man with a hard heart. He said, do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? You see, grace teaches our heart to fear, and unless our heart fears, we won't see our need for salvation. Grace teaches our heart to fear. It teaches our heart to realize that we too are under a sentence of condemnation, a sentence of eternal death. The criminal with a soft heart says, don't you know that we too are condemned? So that's the first thing. He had a fear of God because he knew that he deserved condemnation. But there's something else that the criminal with a soft heart says in this passage. He says, he says, and we justly, for we are receiving the reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. He recognized the innocence of Jesus. A person with a, with a soft heart fears God because they know they're under the sentence of condemnation. A person with a soft heart recognizes that Jesus is innocent. That leads us to the second thing that we want to notice in this little story about these two criminals is not only the heart that is softened by grace, but also the prayer for saving grace. 
Remember I said at the beginning, it might be difficult for us to believe that a person can pray a sincere, simple prayer expressing their need for saving grace and that God would hear it. But that's what, indeed what happens in this story. Listen to his prayer. I want you to think about these words. He's, it says, and he said, this is the criminal with a soft heart, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. You guys, that is a prayer of salvation. If a person wants to turn to Christ in faith, they can sincerely pray these very words, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Now, why is this a prayer of saving faith? Why is this a prayer asking for saving grace from God? Well, the first thing that he says in this prayer, he says, remember me. Remember me. If a person does not yet know Christ, one of the things they can say to him is remember me One commentator in talking about this passage said that the prayer was not, he said, remember me, not prefer me. The criminal is not saying, uh, reward me for a good life. He's saying, remember me. You'll notice he, he also, he says, remember me when you come in, into your kingdom he believed that Jesus was going to another life. He believed that Jesus was going to another kingdom. He believed in that. That's part of his prayer too. And he said, remember me when you come to your kingdom. He recognizes that Jesus is Lord. He recognizes that Jesus is the king of that kingdom. So this prayer for saving grace, when he says, remember me, he has recognized that he himself is is should fear God because of his deeds. So he says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. That's a prayer for saving grace. And I would say to all of you in this room and to those of you that are watching online, if you've ever wondered what it meant to cross the line, what does it mean to put your faith in Christ, you can go to this prayer. Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. There's a third thing in this story. Not only the heart that is softened by grace, not only a sincere prayer for saving grace, but finally, I want you to notice the promise that is here from the Savior of grace. Because how do you know that he hears your prayer at the 11th hour? How does he know that whether you're a child today, whether you're a young adult or whether you are in the 11th hour, how do you know that he hears your prayer? These words of Jesus, listen to them. It says, and he said to, them, to him, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. When people look at the the passion of Christ, the death of Christ, people think of it in terms of the seven last words of Christ on the cross. These seven words, as they are called, are actually seven sayings of Jesus. So we read one of them, the first one, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. 
Two years ago at our last Good Friday service, we preached on that verse, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. You see, before, before we prayed to Jesus, he prayed for us. He was hanging on the cross. He was dying. He was praying, saying, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And then this is the second word of salvation. It is known as the word of salvation, the second word of Jesus from the cross. Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. This is a promise of the Savior of grace. And I want you to think for a moment about what he promises here. First of all, he promises paradise. To this man at the 11th hour after leading a criminal life, he promises paradise to him. The word paradise reminds us of the Garden of Eden. It reminds us that it is really true that though this life is characterized by decay and by death and by sickness, that one day God will restore all things, you guys, and that is called paradise. That is a real thing and a real place. But he says, today you will be with me in paradise. So what does it mean to go to paradise? He says, we will be with Christ. The Apostle Paul said, to live is Christ and to die is gain. He says, I desire to depart and to be with Christ. And so when our loved ones, our friends pass away, and they are people with soft hearts who have received God's grace. We say they have gone to be with the Lord. This day you will be with me in paradise. But oh, you guys, last 11th hour conversion, how does God respond to a prayer of simple faith from a child or an adult? He says, today you will be with me in paradise. In other words, immediately upon death. That is the promise of a dying Savior. You guys, this is the gospel. This is the gospel. The gospel means that God saves sinners through the life, death, and resurrection of his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We say that salvation is by grace through faith. That's what's happening here. It is the grace of God in Christ the sinless substitute, the innocent one dying on the cross for the criminals. We are in the place of those criminals. Jesus was perfect, but he died as our substitute, substitute on the cross. This is salvation by grace through faith. Faith is simply the arm that reaches up to receive what Christ has done. Faith is simply saying, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. This story, and I close with this thought, this story means a lot to me because I have witnessed an 11th hour conversion. When I became a Christian around the age of 17, 18, I spent over 10 years praying for members of my family and I prayed for my mother. My mother, I was not raised in a Christian home. I was not taught the gospel as a child. I learned the gospel by going to youth group, but when I became a Christian, I prayed for the rest of my family to come to know Christ. It was in the fall of 1982 in November, near Thanksgiving, that my mother learned that she had a rapidly spreading form of stomach cancer. 
and my mother was dying. It was on Christmas Eve that my mother died. That was a rapidly spreading form of cancer. And it was lot, a lot on the shoulders of a young man to watch his mother dying, to see the tubes in her mouth, the heavy breathing, the smells of the hospital. But I remember Molly and I, the last day that we saw her, it was the day before Christmas Eve, we were visiting her at the hospital in Houston, and Molly and I stopped and prayed a prayer because my mom was delirious. We prayed a very simple prayer. We say, Lord, we pray that I could talk with her alone and that she would be alert. Sure enough, the nurses left the room. This is my last chance to be with my mom as she lay dying. And I took in an eight and a half by 11 photograph of our son, Jonathan, who was two and a half years old at the time. And I held it up so that my mom could see it. She had tubes coming out of her mouth. I held it up and I said, Mom, this is how I started the conversation. I don't know how to start a conversation with my mom like that. But I said, Mom, I want you to, I want you to see Jonathan in heaven, our son. <clears throat> well, I reviewed the gospel with her in very simple terms. And I invited her to pray with me a simple prayer to put her faith in Christ. And I said, Mom, do you believe in Christ? Would you like to pray this prayer? She couldn't talk. There were tubes coming out of her mouth. But all she could do was nod. I will never forget that nod of my mother. Because in her own way, using different words, I gave her some different words, I didn't use this prayer. But in her own way, she was able to listen to the words that I prayed, she couldn't talk. But she was able to nod, she was able to pray those words in her heart. That was my last conversation with my mother. The next day we learned that she had died. That she went to be with Christ. Like that soft-hearted criminal who said, Lord, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. <clears throat> Would you pray with me? As we reflect on the cross, Mark has said that the cross changes everything. One of the things it changes is your eternal destiny. And so if you're listening to the live stream now, or if you're in this room, and you've never prayed this prayer, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Would you take a moment right now? Would you take a moment right now and say those words, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom? Lord, I'm reminded of how reading what Matthew Henry said about this passage, how it's grace that softens our heart. So we pray that your grace, your spirit, would soften all of our hearts 
and whether we were converted late in life or early in life, Lord, would you make us disciples, followers of you, with softened hearts to your truth. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen.